have I got a story for you. Lauren Witzke is running for the United States Senate to represent Delaware. She's a Delaware native, political activist, former addict, teen challenge program director, worked for a drug cartel family, and is unapologetic in putting America first. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com, it's the cute, quaint corner store boutique. You should know this by now. With all sorts of neat and original merch, you had no idea existed because AndrePsyche.com has been tucked away, hidden from your site, from your Google search in the northwestern part of the internet. Well, when you get around to getting there, which should be while you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod, let me give you a little preview of the plethora of potential purchases awaiting your perusals. Or perusal. We're talking literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, poetry, podcasts, all created by Andre and his psychedelic mind. But do you want to know what you're really going to want to go for? You're going to want to message Andre with some details and ideas that you have for a fully customized gift for someone you love. He's going to take those thoughts, take those emotions, and make something from them. How? Because Andre Psyche is a freelance creator extraordinaire. So go to andrepsyche.com and see what speaks to you. Because each and every item has a story behind it. Nothing is made. Everything is created on andrepsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. Have you ever asked yourself, do I do enough to support a local Delaware podcast? Do you sit there and wonder, how can I help an upstart podcast from Delaware? Well, here it is. Take a moment right now. Push the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, whatever podcast app you pushed play on. And while you're at it, if you rate and review the podcast, especially on Apple, that is a huge help. Feel like you want to do some more? Friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. All you have to do is search us up. It's getting the number two, no, the letter U, pod. And finally, why do we need all this support? Because we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world. I mean, literally, this podcast has been downloaded in over 25 different countries and the majority of the states in America. So, again, if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. Our advertising rates are extremely reasonable, and we would love to partner with you. And now, getting to know you. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. My cup of tea. On today's show. We 
are getting to know. Lauren. Lauren Witzke. And I didn't even ask you if I was going to nail the last name. I should have while we were talking. <laughs> Did and I? And you nailed it. That awesome. never happens. <laughs> Lauren Witzke is a Republican candidate running for United States Senate to represent Delaware. Lauren, thank you so much for taking time today to let uh, everybody get to know you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Um, and thanks for uh, putting this podcast together for local candidates and for local people to hear our messaging. So we appreciate you as Man. well. And thank you. You were, um, I was so scared because I don't know the right analogy, but I logged on, I think it might have been like Ballotpedia. And every candidate that was running for office in Delaware, I'm almost like cold messaging, <laughs> emailing. And I feel like, I don't know if I came across as too desperate, too needy, <laughs> but I was like, I don't know how people are going to take a cold email from someone who's not established. So I think it's right. really cool that you were willing to support a podcast that's from Sussex County coming off the ground yeah. and willing to give your time to um, just talk about you and kind of get messages that you think maybe are, I don't want to say distorted, but maybe haven't you haven't had the time to articulate to get out there. I think it's um, okay. really nice that you're able to do that because I think a lot of people can be fearful. And some of the people I haven't heard, not heard back from, I feel are those who are the incumbents who maybe don't think they need to take the risk to get themselves out there. Yeah. And uh, that's a common misconception. You know, you're every day you're campaigning. So, and every day is an opportunity to spread your message. So, and you're providing an opportunity for that. So I thought that was really cool. And plus I got to look out for my Sussex County people right. representing, you know, <laughs> trying to, man, we, uh, I don't know. I don't know how many other Sussex County podcasts I, we might have to start like a support group or a help group at some point. In our lives <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> to see if there are any more of us out there. Um, <laughs> So you bring up campaigning, which is interesting because it's how has COVID campaigning been for you? Because that in my head, it's like you take away the rallies, you take away the handshakes, you take away the hugs, you take away the arm around selfie, you take away the baby kissing, the stereotypical. And yeah. now you're left with like what? Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, they first told us two weeks to flatten the curve. Uh, when they first, when COVID first allegedly hit the United States. Um, so I was, you know, we all did our part, stayed locked down, uh, avoided social contact of any sorts. Um, and then, as you know, it's been, what, five months now um, we're looking at. So within that time period, we've had to get creative. First, I went um, on live streams. I started interviewing displaced workers. Um, oh. It's a way for me to get my messaging out there because I'm running on a pro worker, restricting immigration platform. I was able to pull people onto my show uh, and people that have been displaced, people that have been replaced in the workforce uh, by cheap foreign labor. Right now, our political class, they love cheap foreign labor. They love replacing American workers who, and who demand decent wages. You know, Americans will do those jobs. We just won't do them at slave wages. So I was bringing on people who had been fired and forced to train their foreign replacements onto my live stream. And it actually went really well, like getting my messaging out there. Um, and, you know, it kind of proves the point that this is really happening to people. Uh, this is happening to American families, American parents. I, what kind of jobs? And I can't believe that people would actually have to train replacements that are going to come in at a cheaper wage for their job. Like yeah. that's, I, uh, so I have no idea. Is, yeah. And this isn't just jobs that quote unquote Americans don't want, uh, like the farm labor jobs. No, they're replacing and displacing American workers in white collar jobs. IT, engineering, uh, doctors, doctors, American doctors are not able to get residencies um, and they are importing cheap foreign doctors uh, who did their uh, 
uh, went to med school residencies abroad and stuff like and come that. here and they're doing their residencies here. Oh. Um, when we have thousands of American doctors who cannot get matched um, and they graduate from med school with all this student loan debt and they have to compete against foreigners. Uh, so I'm running on an America first platform. And, and this is especially happening in the IT industry. So students, American graduates are graduating with degrees in IT mm-hmm. um, and they are not able or in tech and they are not able to get jobs because they are competing against India. So Chris Coons co-sponsored the S386 bill. So what this does is it brings in, it lifts the cap on uh, Indian visa workers. So an unlimited amount of Indian workers who come here and a majority of them work in tech and they are displacing American workers. So companies are hot, like forcing Americans to train their foreign uh their foreign replacements. Uh, they call them knowledge transfers. And these people don't know that they're about to get fired from their job, but they transfer all the, their knowledge to these Indian tech workers that they have imported in. And then they fire them and they, they lose everything, you know, their careers that they've been in for 30 years. And this is happening nationwide. And this has been a problem in this abuse of the H-1B visa system it's a, it's a problem that affects all of us. It especially affects American graduates. 50% of American STEM graduates uh, graduating in the United States can't get jobs. The 50%, and there's absolutely no reason that Americans need to compete against foreigners for jobs. You know, we should get first dibs on those jobs, and that is fair. And we should get fair wages for our work um, as well. Because, you know, like we were talking about before we started this podcast, that the system, I feel like the system is rigged against us. Um, it's hard. It's really hard for millennials, Generation Z, and even some of, like, you know, a little bit older than us. It's hard for them to get married and have children and buy a home, have equity, health, health insurance, and having to compete for wages, uh, compete against cheap foreign labor for fair wages is just, it's just unreal to me. Um, so, you know, and getting that message out there to my viewers was really, really good. A lot of people responded, the working class citizens of Delaware, you know, we have a, we have an immigration problem here. We have 4,000 H1B workers in Newcastle County. That's 4,000 jobs that could belong to UD graduates or Goldie Beacom graduates. Um, a lot of young people that are graduating from the colleges here aren't staying. And uh, there's no reason that we should be importing cheap foreign labor to take their jobs that they could potentially have here. Because if you get one of those visas, I mean, you only get one of those visas if it's attached to a job. Am I correct about that? It's not like you get to come here and then job hunt. You're coming here for a specific position, right? Yes, exactly. And you know what else? It's not good for the migrants either. Um, it's not good for the guest workers because they become indentured servants. So they come here and they have to work for the corporation that they uh, that purchased their or paid for their H-1B visa pass. Um, and if they want to get another job or say, hey, like they see something that they want to do something else, yeah, or they something will get deported. With, something they are not, like they are indentured mobility. servants. You got to stay yep. at that company for the duration of the H-1 visa. Oh no, I'm sorry. You yes, have to you stay have at the to. company for the duration. So if you really bust your butt as a guest worker, three months, you are just top of the chart. You get offered by another company. You actually have to decline that for the duration of, so you're even limited. Wow. That is sneaky. Yeah. So you are not able to get another job. You have to stay here and you have to work at the wages that the company says, which is lower than the average pay. Usually. And I was about to ask, do you have any, cause you've just done so well with the statistics thus far. <laughs> do you have, um, labor wise, is it typically like 10% less, 20% less of a salary? Like are, are there numbers out there for how much cheaper this labor is? 
Um, so we're looking, I've been told wages as much as 50% less than oh the American worker, 50 to 80% is what I have been told. I've been told they pay them minimum wage basically. Whereas a graduate, an American graduate would be making, you know, say 30 bucks an hour. Yeah, you would uh, they pay them on average about, you know, nine. So, and it's like slave wages that they have them working at in, in these white collar industries. Yeah. Um, so there are, it depends on the corporation. Uh, however, I've heard numbers as much as 50 to 80%. Difference. And you would think yeah. just from an even a, and I, I get it. If you're coming on that visa, you're probably escaping a life that is worse than what you're coming into. Right. Right. But from a humanistic standpoint, in a first world developed country to limit your earning potential and to limit your ability to go to other jobs, that really does sound like indentured servitude. Like it sounds like something I would learn about in seventh grade history. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. It is modern day slavery is what it is. And That's you know, so it's not up. good for them either. And it's not good for other countries for us to, well, the H1B program was initially created to uh, bring in the best and the brightest uh, from the other countries, but now it's become abuse. It's become abuse to the point where we are taking mass quantities of people from other countries who have the same degrees as Americans cool. and replacing the American workforce because these people are so grateful to come to America because America is the greatest country in the world. Um, but they're so grateful. They're willing to work for so much less. And, and um, you know, fighting for the American worker is what, that's my, that's my thing. That's what I want to do. Um, and that's what I love to do. I've actually, and, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but it actually emphasizes your point because you're, you're working for the American college student as well. I've spoken to people on this podcast from India and Netherlands, just several different countries. And something you can forget is universities in a lot of other countries are completely free. So if you get this degree that allows you to be the worker in America and you put that with the degree that someone just paid 50 grand to 150 grand a year to get that what a yeah. disadvantage right like yeah. it's a free degree so of course you getting paid less money seems good because you're not thinking i invested this money for my degree i have this set wage that i have to make back exactly yeah. and you know wow. and then here in america they our students graduate with $100,000 in student loan debt and they can't get a job or a job getting their wages, you know, for what they went to school to do. Um, like I said, 50% of STEM graduates can't get a job. American STEM graduates can't get a job. And, you know, they, and that, that's the same with med school students too. They bring a lot of, uh, med school students, they go to college for way less in their own countries. Right. They go to med school and then they come here and get residencies. Immigration and H-1B visa abuse has gotten so bad that they're even displacing second generation migrants. Uh, so I brought on, uh, during the COVID-19 lockdown, uh, this Indian woman, she was an Indian doctor, med school grad, uh, that her parents had migrated here to provide their daughter with the American dream. You know, right. they had this promise of the American dream that this is the greatest country in the world. So they came, they had a, a daughter and wanted to provide for everything that America has to offer. Well, she went to med school, graduated highest, like great, um, scores, brilliant woman, um, but she was not matched and she was, uh, they chose somebody on a J one visa over her. So she's like super frustrated. She is, you know, she's probably my age. She's young. She's like 30 years old. And, uh, she has this med school degree, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt of med, uh, of 
school loan debt, right. student loan debt. And she's like, and I can't get matched for residency. And they're choosing foreigners over me. So this is a second generation migrant. Um, and they use the excuse diversity, but they have diversity in the that industry. They have so mm -hmm. much diversity, but it's about choosing Americans over foreigners, uh, people that have um, a stake in here. You know what I'm saying? They have skin in this game here in the United States. Um, and I just, you know, putting American graduates first in line for these jobs, I don't think that's an unfair request to have, yeah, and, you know? And I, I, and I don't know if I can speak on it with any sort of knowledge, but you would assume that the infrastructure of these medical places has in some way or somehow been helped with American tax dollars, somehow been incentivized with American legislation. And it, it, it does seem kind of jacked up that if foreigners get to take advantage of it at a higher rate or with more of um, like more favor, <laughs> like they're, they're like, Hey, we'll give you preferential treatment over. We'll select you before them with some sort of advantage. That just seems, it does. It yeah, seems kind of wrong. No, and it seems unreal. Like you would think, yeah. and, and now American worker, like American workers groups are having to lobby uh, for jobs. And it's like, why do we as Americans have to have a lobbying group? You know, they have like the Indian India caucus and stuff like that. And they lobby for their own interests. Well, now American workers are having to create lobbying groups for their own interests. And I, I just, I, it's unreal. You know, it's absolutely unreal that American workers are having to go through this. I, when you said pro worker, um, restricting immigration, I guess in my head, I immediately went to like the, almost like the, the gangbanger, the farm labor, like you were saying, I, I yeah. didn't even go to restricting the visas for people who could be taking college graduates job or applying yeah. or competing. Now what it's about no longer about the jobs that Americans don't want, you know, cause I get that argument all the time. They're like, well, who's going to pick my lettuce, you know? Right. And I'm like, it's not those kind of jobs that are being replaced. It's hot, white collar jobs. And in my head, I initially wanted to counter with the argument of, well, isn't competition good? Isn't America based on competition? Shouldn't we have the best people get this job? But when you bring in the money and the wage aspect, like you can't even compete. It doesn't matter how good you are. We'll take okay at a quarter of the price to help our profits than the best and lose out on 75% of salary that we could be pocketing ourselves as a for-profit company. Exactly. And these big corporations, it, it has been, become very apparent that they don't care that you can't feed your family. They care about the cheap labor and their own profits yeah. and they will choose profits over people every time. Man, that's, um, I, I hadn't honestly not looked at it from that perspective before. So then is the solution to just completely eliminate? Is the solution some sort of legislation that mandates positions get the same wage? Like if you bring in an H1, you almost have to pay like market price for them? Or what is the solution to okay. this? Right. And also um, there's another visa abuse program called the F1OPT. And that's where they bring in their spouses and uh, get their spouses also get jobs. Um, and these uh, visa workers do not pay social security tax. Um, they don't pay into, they don't pay taxes. So it's not even like this is beneficial to America or Americans and our future as well. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm calling, tax, I've been though. calling for an immigration moratorium since day one, uh, because our immigration system is so flawed, netting at zero, which means replacing migration oh, as migrants leave the country, then we can re uh, bring migrants in based on merit. Um, we don't have a merit-based system currently. Uh, and I think 10 year moratorium is plenty of time for us to evaluate our immigration system, get the H-1B visa abuse under control 
um, get Americans back to work at fair wages, get American graduates jobs, and then we can reopen our doors um, for these foreign workers who want to come here and have a shot at the American dream. But making sure that Americans have that first shot first is my priority. So I've been calling for an immigration moratorium. I've been running on it since day one. When you'd said no taxes or for no social security taxes, they would still pay income taxes though, right? Uh, so there are actual visas, uh, visa workers who don't pay income tax. They don't pay any tax. Um, so it's very interesting, the loopholes that they have. There are certain ones. Um, I think it's like the H-2A visas. They don't pay an income tax. They don't pay any taxes. Um, but it's very interesting. Um, I could I could come on again and talk about it and get more into detail about it. Uh, but there are so many loopholes within these H-1B visas and H, uh, H-2A F1OPT. Uh, there are so many. There's just a whole list of different visas that they are using um, to as loopholes to um, kind of rip off the American working class. Yeah. So then you're getting, and it, this has always been something that I hear from different people is like, well, if you're an illegal immigrant, you're not paying taxes, you're taking advantage of our school systems, you're taking advantage of our infrastructure, you're not putting anything back into it. And but when they say that again, they tend to in their heads, I believe they're talking about like those migrant workers or maybe illegal immigrants working at a chicken factory, which is a whole like that's that's hard work, right? But I don't think they're thinking about I could be dealing with my IT company at blank and that these people cannot be paying um taxes as well. What about and I think the other thing that people may worry about is when you talk about an immigration ban, like ice kicking in doors, parents getting ripped apart from their children mass deportations. I'm not, I guess, hearing that from you or am I hearing that from you? And I just don't know. Is that something that you're looking at when you had said, um, a zero, I didn't get to write it down a net zero where someone would have to leave for another one to get in. So you're not looking to net zero is turning off the spigot per se. Um, we bring in currently 1.1 million migrants a year legally. Uh, on these visa programs, uh, chain migration, birthright citizenship, all these different ways that we are bringing in. So this is turning off the spigot. Um, and as and that's not including the million that come in illegally. I actually just went down to the southern border last week. And let me tell you, it is not a good situation down there. Like right on the other side of the fence wall, you know, it's they're building the wall. But oh my gosh, on the other side, they have these buildings that are surrounded with barbed wire. They have rape houses where they rape women right in front of American border control on the other side of the Mexican border because they know they can't do anything about it. And they do it on purpose. Like these people are evil. Like these cartels that are down there, they are a coalition of 60,000 cartel members hanging out right on our Southern border, um, right on the other side of the wall. And then, you know, you're walking down and then the wall just ends and they just walk on over. And that's terrifying. And that's the illegal immigrants that are coming here. And I fully support full deportations of those people. Um, absolutely. Because they're also the ones that are bringing in the drugs. Um, you know, running on, I'm running also on a recovery platform. I'm recovering myself. Ending the opioid epidemic is a huge part of my platform. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people don't realize that meth, uh, methamphetamine and heroin are not manufactured in the United States. They're manufactured elsewhere and brought in across our southern border. So these cartels are the ones who are bringing it in. Fentanyl, which is responsible for a majority of America's overdoses, comes from China. And then brought in through Central America, brought in right across our border by these cartels. Um, Now, these are the illegal migrants that we are bringing in. Now, they make it legal when they, they... 
basically recycle children. They have little children that they bring in across the border with them uh, so they can get amnesty. And they claim, you know, amnesty here in the United States, but then they send the children back. So these children are getting sex trafficked. Um, these children are getting drugged and they are getting recycled. So these are the quality of people that we are currently bringing in illegally and legally. Um, they're just learning how to manipulate the system. Um, so, you know, the whole separation of families. Um, yeah, that is what's happening on the other side of the border. That is what they are doing. They are breaking down their families and tearing children from their parents' arms and using them as tools to come into the United States, sex trafficking them, and then sending them back um, and reusing them. There was one little girl who had um, a cell phone number written across her chest. They found her. They ended up picking her up um, because they kept recycling her across the border. The cartel gangs were using her to get amnesty, the same little girl. And it's just awful what they're doing. Um, and those quality of people absolutely remove them. They have no place here in the United States. That I, I had not heard that at all. Are these like border agents telling you that this is happening with the children? Yep. yep. So we went and we spoke with border patrol. Um, and I went and spoke with the Angel family. So the Angel families are parents whose children were murdered by illegal aliens. Um, I spoke with Maria Mendoza. She works down at the border. Uh, she is the one who saw the little girl with the cell phone number written on her. And uh, her son was murdered by an illegal alien. So she's a really strong advocate on border security. Um, and the border patrol agents and the guys who are built, the construction workers who are building the wall, um, they are the ones who have been face to face with the cartels because they come out at night and they'll like shoot at them and stuff. And they're all like, it's just like a war zone down there because they're trying to build this wall. But then the cartels come out and they're right there on the border. I mean, it is like 30 yards and they're right there with their barbed wire buildings. There's trash everywhere. Um, it's actually really frightening to see. Um, the differentiation between America, the line of America, and the line of Mexico, and the life that they live. They live in shacks, barbed wire, uh, uh, just everywhere. It was, it was actually really terrifying to see and really surreal to see firsthand. Um, and, you know, the Mexican government is bought by these cartels. You know, they're afraid of them, too. And this isn't talking about, like, the average Mexican family. No, this is the cartels. They are, like just awful people. And, um, you know, they were the ones, and I had to go down there myself and see it firsthand and seeing it firsthand. Yeah. You know, Cause you hear a lot of stories, you hear a lot of propaganda. So you see a lot of stuff on the news, but seeing it firsthand, I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is so real. Um, and this is dangerous for America. Um, and yeah, you know, hearing their stories, talking to them firsthand and from what I saw, um, it was very, very surreal. Do you know, is the point of having a cell phone number written across your chest? So if you get caught in America, the American government calls that number? Or is it like when the child gets back to Mexico, somebody knows? Like, what's the point of the cell phone number? Yeah, so what they'll do is they will use the child to get the, they'll put the child with whatever group of migrants that they're trying to smuggle into the United States. So they'll put the child when, come across to the United States and, um, be granted amnesty because they have a child with them. Well, then they send the child back and then cell phones on there call, you know, to be returned, like whenever, whoever picks her up or finds her, um, you know, it's usually a cartel member that escorts her, whatever. Um, but usually it's to get people and then they send the kids back. Somehow they're escorted back with the cell phone number was so they could contact her, whoever was using her, whoever was recycling her. Um, and return her to her rightful owner. Um, so yeah, that's what it was for. It was to call the Mexicans that are the Mexican cartels that were using her. And what's the age 
I mean, of this. But and I, she, she was four years old. That particular one was four years old, four year old little girl. That's amazing. So the groups with children, um, and you're, I guess and I'm assuming those groups are coming over with the opioids or the drugs are yep. using the children because if they get caught by border patrol with a child, they then get amnesty because are they having to claim some sort of like yeah, they're, they're, I think they're like they're claiming like refugee status is what I think they're doing. Um, but also if they come with a child, you know, it's it's the way the system is set up. Like if you come here um, fleeing poverty or fleeing whatever for your family, um, they grant you amnesty and safety here and refuge refugee status. That's what it is. Refugee gotcha. status in the United States. Um, so that's what they use these children for. But they are recycling the same children over and over again who are stolen from their families. God. So do you, and I'm not saying you would, but do you just like legalize drugs to get rid of the cartels? Isn't that like part of like one of the argument? Like if we just make everything legal, all illegal drug activity goes away as long as the price of legal drugs is comparable to what the price of illegal drugs are. Would you want to live in a society no. where heroin and methamphetamine no. is completely legalized and on the probably, streets? Probably, probably not. I've, I never have, so I can't say for sure it would be bad. <laughs> but my gut, I want to say, I'm actually conflicted about it, to be honest with you. Because I, I wonder how many people would openly choose to do it if it were legal. Like how many people are going to make that choice? But then you worry about the youth. God, I, I want to say no. If I if if I had to make if I had to say bet your life, I would say no. I do not want to live in a society where every drug is illegal. I feel like it would lead to a lot of abuse, especially with the youth. And I don't know if it would solve the criminal problems, even petty crimes of robbery that come along with it. I just I don't think so. But I feel like that's kind of a counterargument to the right. cartel. If you're looking for a solution to illegal drugs, like I, I don't know, I can't wrap my head around one. Right. Well, see, take it from somebody who has walked through addiction. Um, it is, it takes hold of you and it doesn't let go. Um, and to make that more available to other people, it changes who you are and to make it just yeah. normalized. And it, it will destroy our nation if we were to legalize these drugs because it destroyed my life. Um, it was all I could do to pull myself out of it. Um, and to have it readily, easily available and have no accountability towards it. I mean, you are looking at mass overdoses. However, we do have a solution. There is a way we can combat and end the opioid epidemic um, by securing our border, by restricting the people who come here and bring the drugs here. Um, you know, restricting those people will restrict the drugs as well, but also providing recovery solutions for people who are addicted. Right now, they're using, actually, our own government is drugging up people. You know, they have the methadone and suboxone clinics, which I call government-issued heroin. I mean, that's what that is. Dude, you know, that sad. is legalized heroin. I've, it's, I've, I've been to, and I believe down here, I don't know if it's the whole state, um, connections, where, like, you're waiting at 9 o'clock, and, man, that line is, like, 20 deep, and they're, like, jonesing. And you're yeah. seeing, ba they're holding their babies in car seats, and little kids are sitting there, and it's it's a very sad sight. But it, it isn't that part of the process of rehabbing is you almost have to be scaled off of those addictive, chemically addicting drugs? Yeah, that's a common misconception. So really? you can't die from heroin withdrawal. You can't die from Suboxone withdrawal. You can't hmm. die from, um, you know, any type of opiate withdrawal. It's not going to kill you. It might dehydrate you, you know, whatever. But as long as you, you know, it's not going to kill you. You feel like you're going to die, but you don't die. Um, now, so... 
you know, I do support using, you know, Suboxone and Methadone as a five-day treatment to get you off the drugs, but as a long-term maintenance program, absolutely not. I did it cold turkey. Um, you know, I went through the withdrawals and that's part of the reason I never want to go back was because I went through that and I never want to go back through that again. Pain was too um, and, real, huh? you know, So having to go through, addicts have this thing where they want an instant gratification, like where they want, you know, instantaneously and I want it now. Uh, I've been clean for a week. I'm good to go. No, recovery is a process. It's something that you have to work at over and over. So that's why I'm advocating for long-term residential facilities. Um, you cannot heal in the same um, environment that made you sick. You just can't. You have to remove yourself and you have to put in the work um, to recover. And, you know, it's the process. It's not easy. And it's not supposed to be easy. You know, you can't undo years and years of addiction um, and that mindset in a matter of six days, a yeah. six day detox center, you because know, you're, you're, you're chemically. And I think physically rewired from everything I've yeah. read, like, like it's, you change pathways, you change neurons, you're a different person with these long-term residential facilities. Are these like government based? Is it like a private company that's getting some sort of like, um, grants through the government? How do you envision these popping up and helping? Okay. So I went through a program called teen challenge. It was a year-long program, but it was faith-based. Uh, so that is the problem, is that faith-based recovery centers are not able to get federal funding, federal grants. They mm. just completely disqualify them because, really? you know, they use a biblical curriculum. Church and state However, kind of a thing. Huh? Church and state kind of a thing. So that's like the premise, right? If you're going to have religion involved in it, the state cannot support you. I, I guess that's the mindset that currently, huh. you know, but uh, the separation of church and state was actually an opinion piece written by Benjamin Franklin. It's not actually in our constitution. Um, but so <laughs> being able to uh, provide grants for faith-based solutions, which by the way, have a 70% success rate, a consistent 70% success rate since 1957. Uh, so Suboxone and Methadone currently have a success rate of about one to 9%. And any, anybody who's gone to or heard someone who goes to an AA meeting even, I mean, it, it's faith-based. Lord, give me the give me the grace, right? Or give me the power to change the yep. things I can. And like that's part of the 12 steps is acknowledging a higher power, a higher authority. So yeah, actually, yep. now that you say that, it's like that would make sense that if AA is one of the most successful and supported platforms, why right. would you not be able to apply for grants if you're at a 70% clip? Seven out of 10 addicts getting better? Imagine that just yeah. coming back and into the economy. never use again. Wow. Never use again. And I'm a product of it, you know? Um, you know, it's powerful. It works. And we're wasting all of our money issuing out government-issued heroin. And what you're seeing at Connections, that is what that is. Um, and it's like those people are still in bondage. You know, they have to be there at a certain time every day. And they're already sick and ready for their next dose. And they live every day for that next dose. And it's still bondage. Yeah, um, so providing a way for people to be free from their addictions is what I want to do. And I feel like that would be a way more, um, a better option for us to spend our taxpayer dollars is people, you know, and it's holistic too. You know, I'm not on anything. I didn't use anything. I just, you know, I, I it was a process. I had to work through my stuff and I, you know, I'm still working through it. I still work through it all the time. Um, but it gives you the tools in order to carry on. So then are they supplemented with government funds? Are they like incentivized with tax breaks? Oh no, in your plan. Or would you like, what would you like to see for the, we'll just go teen challenge or any kind of faith-based rehab program? I just would like for them to be eligible for eligible. federal grants. Yep. Eligible for federal grants, hands off federal funding. Um, because uh, 
every teen challenge or long-term faith-based residential program, a lot of faith-based organizations are understaffed and underfunded. Um, and are we're using them. I know there's a local uh, ministry called Zoe Ministries that is a faith-based ministry for women who have been sex trafficked. Um, and our government, our, our local police station sends all their people, their victims there. Um, however, they are understaffed, underfunded, and don't receive any funds, uh, taxpayer funds. Uh, when, if they were given that option just to have that hands-off money um, and we could put it towards something good, uh, something that works and is sustainable. Yes, I think that it would be very good for our social fabric. Man, and on top of it, not only are you helping people who need help, which if if you just look at it from a money standpoint, now that they're now they're adding to society versus taking, you're right. also creating a lot of middle class jobs, counselors, and people who go and read. These are educated people who at least have an associates, right? If not a bachelor's. And if you, if there is this demand for it, which you hate that there is a demand, but if there is a demand for it, why not support it with some federal funds where you're helping two ends of the socioeconomic spectrum? Yep. I can't believe That's that they're great. not even eligible. Wow. Let me, and I guess I'm imagining you have answered this, but if I'm um, being too nosy, you can feel free to pass or virtually slap me. I don't know if that's a button on Zoom okay. <laughs> where it's like, just <laughs> go across. Um, what was your rock bottom? Because most addicts have to hit a rock bottom. And I, I love how you said you went through the rehab and that's like the, I'm never want to go through that again. Right. But what got you to the point to want to go through that? Um, so drugs had cost me everything. Like I had lost, I had a beautiful apartment. I had a beautiful house. At one point I had a car. Um, I had, you know, I had a job and drugs had literally cost me everything. Um, I actually hit my, I, you know, I had been arrested, but my charges were dropped. I didn't get what I deserved. That's for sure. So it wasn't like I was like facing jail time or anything like that. No, I was really honestly just like sitting on a dirty mattress in Tennessee selling drugs. And I was like, I can't live like this anymore. You know, I'm going to die. Um, so I, and I made the decision. I, I made the decision to submit to the process of recovery. Just that you woke up one morning, saw the environment and you were like, this is, it wasn't like a close call. Like you didn't have a break in or anything. It was just that sad realization. Oh yeah. Well, I had plenty of close calls before that. Like I've had guns held in my head. I was running drugs for uh, Mexican cartels. I was running drugs for the gangs from Detroit. Like I was like a low ball drug runner, like bottom feeder. Um, but you know, and I have been put in many situations where I should be dead, you know, and that still didn't break me. No, it actually like, I guess what changed me, I, I guess like God just got a hold of my heart. Like he kept pursuing me and he like, literally like I had like, just, I, I knew that, I don't know. It was just an encounter with God is the only thing I can say. Um, I knew that he had called me to something else. I knew that he was taking me somewhere else, but I was just so stubborn that I wouldn't listen to him. You know, I knew that he had good plans for me, but I was so stuck in my own brokenness that I refused to, and I had so much pride. Um, mm. and it was just, you know, I finally just submitted and I gave, uh, gave over my pride. I gave up everything and decided to humble myself and change, you right. know, it was a decision. Um, but it's also, you know, it's all God. Like it's so God. Cause I should, I should be dead. Like I, there's no reason I'm talking to you today. <laughs> It's funny you talk about holding on to pride and if, and you didn't get too descriptive into the scene of dirty mattress in Tennessee, but you can kind of imagine the room of a junkie or an addict 
and they have the mattress. Like I'm sure we've all seen it portrayed in media and like to be like, I'm holding on to my pride, but be in that yeah. environment. Think about the mind frame that so many people are just so off on. Like they have some good characteristics and qualities. They're just putting them in totally the wrong places. And it's, it's sad. They, they do, man. They, they need something to get a hold of them. It's awesome that God was able to get a hold of you to uh, get you through that because yeah. it's, it's, it shouldn't be a place that anybody who has any sort of want to should be in, you know, they right. should, they should be able to get supported. I like the idea of this long-term residential facilities um, being not, not government centered, but just opening up eligibility to faith-based ones. I, um, yes. Is there something else that can happen or is that like kind of the main thing that you think these teen challenge and whatever else is like them, if they're able to get more funds, they're just going to start popping up and sprouting and handle right. this situation. Also, interestingly enough, people who are incarcerated are able to finish their sentences there. Um, oh, you know, wow. this is also prison. Yeah. And we'd be able to do it in mass if we were funded better. Um, yeah, I was the program director. So I say we, you know, of them before this, uh, before running for office. So, you know, I just love Teen Challenge, but we would have girls, uh, who, and boys, um, and young men who would, uh, be serving their sentences and we would go to the courts and we would pick them up and let them serve their sentences at Teen Challenge. Um, and so it's actually, and Teen Challenge is, uh, transitional. So it is biblical studies, the first four months, uh, vocational. So they learn how to have a job and pay rent. Mm -hmm. And then the last two months is transitional where we help them get an apartment, get reunited with their family, do whatever. So it's an opportunity for people who are incarcerated to have a second chance and unlearn everything that they have learned. Cause we know a lot of people when they walk out of, or they're released from prison, they learned or jail, they have they haven't learned any skills. They right. just learned how to drug deal better or learn new connections. And this is an opportunity for them to unlearn what they have learned. And uh, I think that if we could do this in mass, like, and a majority of people who are incarcerated, it's because of drugs, it's drug related, whether it's a shooting, domestic abuse, whatever it is drug related usually is the root cause of all of that. And, um, handling that root cause of drug abuse, substance abuse, um, and being able to unlearn what you have learned is a great opportunity. And Teen Challenge offers that. Programs like Teen Challenge offer right. that. And, you know, it's just getting the word out and being like, hey, we have a solution. We have a, a program that can work for the broken um, generation. We just, they need to fund it, you know? And you would think, man, good grief, a year. So if you're doing your last year of your sentence, I mean, you're getting paid. No, let me ask this. Is Teen Challenge like overnight or is it more like a work release thing where you would pick them up at a certain time and then drop them back off to the jail or the prison at a certain oh, time? No, you live on campus. So then, yeah. so then you if, you're, if your last year, if your last year is a choice between remaining behind bars for a year or going somewhere to learn these skills for a year to transition to separate yourself where you don't, I would imagine the majority would stop feeling like prisoners. It's got to be so disheartening to feel like a prisoner while you're transitioning back to real life. It would be so nice yeah. to actually feel back to like a human again. And yes. then wouldn't, aren't they anyway getting money to stay in jail? Like the, the jail systems are getting money for them to stay in jail for that additional year. You would think those funds could be kind of easily rediverted to a transitional program since it's already allocated to keep them behind. But I can't imagine it would you be would that think. much, it, that, it would be that much more of a great expense for that money that's attached to a prisoner. Like I've heard the figure 40 grand a year. So if each prisoner is a 40 grand price tag to put that alone towards rehabilitation and transitional programs, I imagine they would get funded 
Like that would help fund it. <laughs> 40 grand yeah. a person. You would think, right? You could probably I even mean, cut it. You could probably yeah. even go 20 grand a person, right? Like we're going to cut it in half. We're going to give you 20 grand per person that signs up. Um, yeah. Yeah, we would we would only charge like the program I went through was like four hundred bucks a month, like from the families or the people, oh, wow. and then we ran solely on donations. People yeah. donate, churches donating, and stuff like that. So you know, if we were able 10%. to get that extra income, you know, to take care of these people, like that'd be great. You know, yeah. I, I didn't even think about that. That's incredible. A forty thousand dollars a year, yeah. um, for housing. You know, for cut everything. that in half yeah. from the state where they have the money, obviously, and let's yeah. put it towards something that is sustainable. And they, they keep, and the people you talk to about prison reform, they keep talking about, we need to give them skills and we need to give them, like, re- get them into life where they understand how to meet deadlines, how to pay rent and things like that, how to own a home. And you're like, why? why? God, it, it that's where I get upset. I'm like, I don't understand why common sense, like, things, has it been tried? Can we say for sure that it's terrible? No. Right. Can we say for sure that prison reform really doesn't work? I want to say, yeah. <laughs> so can we try it and just see and measure the statistics of it? Because worst case, you're just using the money you're already using on something that's not working. Why not give exactly. it a try? Exactly. Man. Yep. And, it's- you know, I, I as a young person coming into politics, you know, I come with a practical perspective. Like, hey, I know what works. Why don't we try this? We know what doesn't work yeah. and we know where our money's being wasted. Let's try to do something that actually works and is beneficial to the people. You know, let's shake it up. Let's change it um, yeah. and build something better. And we can do that because your old system is not working. Yeah, clearly, clearly. And you had brought up something else too, which is the majority of people in jails are um, on drug related charges, which yeah. I've, I'm really wondering with COVID, the economy, my huge fear are these is debt and we're already in debt, but I can't imagine what debt's going to be now that people haven't been able to earn. And in my mind, I go to States like Colorado and I go to the legalization of marijuana. And I know I kind of joked, it wasn't a joke, but it was a joke about legalizing everything. I, I don't think I can get on board with that. I do see a lot of positives towards legalizing. It's decriminalizing it for sure all across America federally, but then also legalizing it federally as a recreational drug that's very similar to alcohol. And I'm curious about what's your stance on marijuana or cannabis. I don't know what the proper term you want right. to go with. Right, so Colorado um, legalized marijuana, for example, and their overdose rates dropped 25% oh, in wow. a year. And I support anything that reduces overdose rates. Mm. So it is something that we certainly need to talk, start talking about. What do you think the holdup is? It seemed like the more you look at the numbers, Colorado also got like a billion dollars in tax revenue. (laughs) So you're like, wow, a quarter less people die. Plus we get a billion dollars to, I don't know, fund schools, have better rehab programs. Yeah. Public transportation. (laughs) Yeah. So like, what is it? Is it some sort of like, are the alcohol lobbyists not wanting this or like pharmaceutical? Is it like- Yeah, it's the pharmaceutical. It's big pharma because- Cannabis has so many benefits to it, medical benefits like epilepsy, cancer, um, all these certain things, that, but it's it's growable. They're able to farm it. It's not something that um, big pharma can pump out 24-7, you know what I'm saying, and right. create with their own chemicals and whatnot. Um, they make way too much money off of cancer. They make way too much money off of pharmaceutical um, pills is what they do because they can make them in mass 24 seven. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's you why the they're fighting against the cannabis industry because cannabis, it's farm grown. Um, you have to grow. It takes time, um, but it works. 
Uh, yeah. So, you know, and they aren't able to really, they haven't figured out a way to make enough money off it yet. That's the problem. Yeah. And you wonder and if anybody would be able to do it, you would think tobacco, right? So like tobacco would be going against big pharma and then you would have the Marlboro lights or whatever, the cannabis infused. Blanks. Yeah, but so big tobacco makes the cancer industry, in, industry, big pharma so much money because it does, it is a cause of cancer. It is. Right. Um, that's why they fight against the vape stores because the vape stores, I mean, it provides the nicotine, but it does not have um, the carcinogens in it. And that's why they are going after the vape stores as well. And like jewel and whatnot. Right. Um, but you know, that's, it's all a racket. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so in Delaware, from what I had heard, one of the, um, you know, we have the medical dispensaries, it's been decriminalized, I believe up to an ounce, but what I've heard on the streets is that the liquor lobbyists, because I think in Delaware, you can only get liquor imported by two different people. Like I can't order a case of wine and have it delivered to me in Delaware, where if I lived in Virginia, I could. Right. Um, so I've heard that the liquor distributors are fighting it because they want the rights to distribute marijuana as well as all the liquor. And mm. I'm not saying that you're um, that you would know anything about that. But what I'm wondering is, do you see a model for dispensing? Do you see it as like the tobacco where you could get this in convenience stores anywhere? Do you see it like separate, like there would be their own liquor stores, separate marijuana shops? What do you, if it were to become legal, do you have an idea of distribution? Right. So I'm on a federal level. So that would be the case. So it would be as accessible, like if I were to vote in favor of legalizing it on the federal level, it would be that easy as you would be purchasing tobacco, you okay. know, across state lines. Gotcha. Yeah. So you would think that would also stimulate a lot of small businesses. And again, in Delaware, in your head, you almost think of these um, roadside farm shops that are pumping out their corn, tomatoes. You just go to the country and you you buy produce. And right. you would wonder like how many little businesses could then become horticultures and grow their own and make it like a small business aspect, almost like microbrews, you know, right. for beer. And you don't you don't worry about the marijuana as um of recovering someone who's dealt with addiction. You don't worry about marijuana as that quote unquote gateway drug that leads people. Uh, so <laughs> I don't believe that marijuana is a gateway drug. Uh, most, you know what, you know, what is a gateway drug? Unemployment, inability to take care of your family. Uh, that is a gateway drug, uh, feeling less than because you have to compete for a job against cheap foreign labor and not getting fair wages from your work, not being able to have a life, buy a house, um, even, even have a family, you know, you can't afford it. Uh, you know, that is a gateway drug. That is the gateway drug that is destroying America is um, the hopelessness that they're selling us. It's not, you know, the lie that it's marijuana. It's going to get everybody hooked on crack. No, it is. It is um, the current state of our social fabric. Yeah. Despair definitely makes people want to numb themselves to it, which you would exactly. think would lead to addiction. Man, dude, you in this past, this, um, is this like completely used against you by anybody? Is it, does this get thrown in your face? Cause me, I would like have a really hard time with those like smear campaigns, smearing someone who's been and overcome what you have. But I wonder, are you going through that? Yeah. So, um, I knew that was going to happen before I launched my campaign. You know, I knew that, these crazy progressive people were going to pull up my mugshot. You know, I knew all of this was going to happen, but it was worth it to me because all of my friends were dead. All of my friends have overdosed. Mm. Um, and our political class is still not talking about it. Chris Coons still isn't talking about it. None of the, my 
friends my age can afford healthcare and Chris Coons isn't talking about it. These people. So it's worth it to me. Um, and honestly, like after running with the worst people, um, you know, these drug dealers, these gangs, you know, there's nothing that they can throw at me that I haven't walked through. You know, it's like I was equipped for this. I was built for this and it doesn't phase me. And it's, it just makes me work harder. So <laughs> man, the healthcare is an interesting thing. So as a, um, the, the more I hear it, the more I want to understand more um, universal healthcare, and the more appealing it is to me, something that I did not think of, and I forget where I had heard it, but the fact that you can be almost an indentured servant to your job because of the benefits, where you're scared to open up your own business, you're scared to leave and take a risk because the health benefits are so good. I, I never thought of that as a fear of limiting your economic uptake, or that was a really bad way to say it, economic earning potential. Right? right. So I'm wondering, universal healthcare, how do you see making the healthcare system a little better for people like you've been through, like I've been through when I was a waiter, where you can't afford healthcare. You just think nothing's going to happen to you, and that's what you hope for. Right. Uh, so, okay. So the problem, the only problem with universal healthcare um, is that it limits senior citizens. Like they get like special. Um, special parts of their healthcare, like special services, like installations, shuttles, stuff like that. If we can ensure that our senior citizens are taken care of uh, first and that they receive all the benefits of Medicare as a priority. And also if they would let me deport all the illegals in the United States, because Medicare for all is Amer Medicare for Americans, uh... not Medicare for everybody. Um, we cannot afford to take care of the world. It is not our job to take care of the world. And if they would let us secure our borders and let us restrict immigration, we maybe could afford Medicare for all. Um, and it is possible, you know, and I would certainly support it if I got my immigration moratorium. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, because that is part of America first is taking care of American citizens first. Um, we sure as heck give free health care to illegals. I mean, we give it to them. Our hospitals don't even send them bills because they know they're not going to pay it. Um, they get priority housing. They get cash assistance while Americans can't afford health care. So, you know, there are our health care system is also overloaded. Um, you know, it's just there's too many people going through the health care system who aren't are going to our hospitals who aren't paying. Um, and a majority of them are legal. And they use the back these they have these loopholes that they use where they are able to just have access to free healthcare. And it's unfair. Um, it's time we put Americans first and that we handle the healthcare issue. I support free market healthcare. I think it should be easy, as easy for an American to buy healthcare as they do car insurance. You know, it should be easy. Um, it should be able to be purchased across state lines um, and it should be accessible as well. I had not heard someone talk about the senior citizens with universal healthcare. So yeah. it, is this like the plans that you've seen or do, is this just a natural consequence where in universal healthcare situations, senior citizens get limited availability or limited healthcare? Oh, so I talked to the people who handle the Affordable Care Act, actually, and uh, kind of talked to them about, you know, I was trying to figure out what we could do for healthcare because healthcare is a serious issue and it affects everybody. Um, and he was telling me, he's like, you know, here's the problem with Medicare for all, you know, Senior citizens get special services. They get installations, shuttle services, um, and stuff that they could not, you know, if we gave Medicare for all, they would lose that access to them. And mm. we have to make sure we take care of our senior citizens for sure. Um, so that is where I learned that. Um, and that is why that's important to me, you know, because we have to take care of our elders and make sure that they're taken care of. However, you know, we do have a generation that's dying. They can't afford to have babies. It's way too expensive for us to have babies. And we stopped having babies as a result. Um, so, you know, 
birth rates is a big thing for me. American birth rates and getting those go. birth rates up in any, I support anything that makes it easier for people to get married and have children. Period. <laughs> That's birth rates up. You just worry about what with that or why is that a, a um, why are you so into birth weights? Birth okay. rate rates going up. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, um, you know, I am running on a restricting immigration. Currently we bring in 1.1 million migrants a year. That's a whole state of Delaware. Um, and legally, and we are aborting 1 million babies a year. Our birth rates are dropping. Uh, we are well below replacement rates. We are literally replacing the American people as a whole. And on top of that, they're making it as difficult as possible for young people to get married and have children. Um, it's inaffordable for us currently. And as a result, we stopped having children. Our birth rates are the lowest they've been in decades. And COVID-19 did not help that. Um, also, they make know. it so expensive for women to have babies. Um, you know, this whole like liberation movement for women. We went to work, but we stopped taking care of our children. We stopped staying home with our children. I'm a traditionalist. So, you know, I, I support, right. you know, moms. I, I, I love family. You know, I love family and seeing the breakdown of our family, um, our families has been just, it's been just so destructive to our social fabric as Americans. So getting our birth rates up is a great thing. Um, I think it would be really good for America to have some hope and um, have more babies. Yeah. I, <laughs> Actually, I, I would almost disagree because I've always heard of the blizzard babies where like you get snowed in for like four or five days and then the birth rate nine months later, like you see a little spike. So yeah. I was wondering if COVID is going to just bring this crop of children because you're- yeah, not, That's what I was hoping too. I was hoping right? that too, but like, apparently not. Apparently we'll it had the opposite effect, which is really unfortunate because when it first happened, I was like, you know what? We're going to have a baby boom. Right. And it, I don't think it's going to happen. Man, so, that, dude, But that's a that's actually kind of, I guess, would be one of the cases for some universal health care would be, you're right, man. If you don't have health insurance, I could not imagine the bill you would see going to the hospital if you stayed three days in there having a child. Um, and Lord help you if that child had complications with the bill, right? And then yeah. having all that, um, I do wonder how many people are like, it's not worth it to get pregnant for the bill or for my career. And part of that is because of their healthcare, where they just right. worry about that. Yeah. And, you know, just because the GDP, you know, we hear all the time about the GDP being so good, but you know what? Our quality of life is not that great. Mm. Imagine being in a situation where one hospital bill just wrecks you financially. Yeah. And we should never be in that point. Like we should never be there or that um, you even have and to getting have, that fixed. And I'm also now thinking like, or that you even have to have um, two people trying to work 40 plus hours a week to have a middle-class life. Yeah. Like it seems very rare that you can have one income of a good job that would be able to support a family in a middle-class way that most people strive for. Would universal healthcare have to be Medicaid for all? Is there a way to merge it with privatization um, in some way? Does it yeah, have to so follow the Medicare do, model? Yeah, what we could do is we could keep the Affordable Care Act for the poor. Um, we could, and then free market healthcare across the board. Um, so being able to purchase it across state lines, being able to choose your plan, um, but also keeping a form of, um, you know, very available um, healthcare for the poor, because we have to take care of our poor. Um, and that's where the Affordable Care Act would come in. And gotcha. that would be Medicare for them. And I'm not super familiar with free market state lines and that kind of stuff. I'm honestly pretty ignorant to it. But in my head, when I hear universal healthcare, what I'm thinking is, I get no bill. Maybe my taxes go up by like 2% on what I pay. But anytime I go anywhere, 
I get no medical bill because the taxes I'm putting into the pot pay for that medical expense. Free right. market sounds like I'm still going to have to be paying for my own health care. Am I right about right. that? But it would yes, just be yes, cheaper because yes. there's so more if competition. Free, if you want free, I mean, nothing's really free. Right. I mean, if you're paying Medicare for all, it's not going to be free. You're going to pay for it in some way. Somebody's going to pay for it. Yeah. Um, you know, hey, we could make it free maybe if we ended all these regime change wars abroad, you know, all the foreign aid <laughs> that we spend. You know, we maybe could have then, like we could, you know. I definitely think it is possible if we quit with the wasteful spending overseas. Um, but, you know, that is does not seem to be a reality at this point. So, um, you know, free market healthcare, it, yeah, you would have to pay a bill. However, it makes it competitive. Yeah. Um, so in the state of Delaware, we only have one ins- one insurance provider. And people are paying a thousand dollars a month for insurance, um, health insurance, and that is just outrageous. Um, now, if they were able to purchase it across state lines, uh, that would make it more competitive, and that would drive those prices down. I also would support a cash-based system, like an out-of-pocket system, with stipends for people who can't afford it, just to drive those prices down. Because our pharmaceutical companies and the healthcare industry, and the um, yeah, the healthcare industry have created a racket you know they keep driving our prices up 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 and there's nothing we can do um and it's just it's gotten out of control and somebody needs to be held accountable so i'm open to all solutions um and i really i really am so i'm willing to discuss everything and bring everything to the table um like i said i support anything that makes it easier for people to get married and have children so if we can come up with a plan that works let's roll with it (laughs) and the federal government can open up the state borders to allow competition to come in or is that like an Yes, oh, that really? would be okay. our job. Yeah, we, we literally write laws. <laughs> I love, I love how, and no, nobody hearing will be able to see, but like you, you just lit up with this smile, and you're like, "Yes, that would be my job." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, and because that, and that's part of it too. I, I, I'm not very clear on federal mandates, state independence, state laws. I know federal law can supersede state laws, but I, with something like that, I wasn't clear that states would be able to hold that autonomy. Is there something we haven't gotten into that you kind of wanted to expound upon a little? Yeah, for sure. Actually, the breakdown in the nuclear family um, oh. is also something I'm running on. Uh, so currently, if mothers choose to get married, they lose their benefits. Um, and I'd like to change that. I would like to change this into a program that incentivizes marriage and family. Um, currently, we are since 1965, they implemented anti-family policies that pushed fathers out of the home. The government, one thing that I've noticed is that they hate fathers. The court systems are rigged against the dads. Um, the divorce courts are rigged against the dads. And family courts is rigged, or family court is rigged against the fathers. And the system is. Um, and these mothers are not able to get married. They aren't able to choose to get married or they lose all their benefits Um, and then it's, you know, they've made fathers the enemy of the people. So restoring the nuclear family is a huge part of my platform. That's, and Um, something I've, and I I don't mean to cut you off, I apologize, but to emphasize your point, that's something I've heard with, um, affordable housing or public housing, where if you are a single mother, your rent obviously is way lower. If the father were to move in and his income then comes along with him, or if you're married and that income comes along, your rent skyrockets. It's like, we're already in public housing. Like we're trying to save money. So we're incentivized to be separate so that we can then, if we want to try to save money and get out of this situation. And I heard that and I'm like, dude, that's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. 
Exactly. And it creates an unstable society. So children who grow up in a home with two parents in the home are more likely or are less likely to participate in sexual promiscuity, less likely to participate in drug abuse, alcohol, partying. Um, it's, th these are statistically speaking, when children have two parents in the home, they have a more stable environment. Now that we're a global leader in single parenthood, where we don't have our daddies in the home, we have high crime rates. We're also a global leader in opioid abuse. And I don't think that's any coincidence. I think that the breakdown of the nuclear family, family is everything that America was founded on, you know, strong families, strong country, um, and really trying to repair that, um, with incentives. People do indeed respond to incentives. Over in Hungary, two years ago, they implemented pro-life, pro-family, well, pro-family policies um, that incentivized people, young people to get married and have children. They made it as easy as possible for young people to um, afford to have get married and have children. Uh, they so, literally rewarded it. I was going to um, say, so if we incentivize it and you get married, it's like 10 grand towards your first house? <laughs> or like, what would the incentives be? Yeah. So what it is, is they give you a, it's, I think it's a $30,000 loan uh, when you get married and the more children you have, the less you have to pay back until it's nothing at all. Because they yeah, recoup it three, in the future. Three children, you don't have to pay the loan back at all. Wow. Yeah. And in two years, a hundred percent increase in marriages. People got married. People started getting married and they're staying together. And in two years, a 9% increase in birth rates. Um, so, you know, it, People do indeed respond to incentives. Man, that's crazy. I could just imagine yeah. like two though, like really broke people being like, dude, let's get together. Let's have a couple yeah. kids. Yeah. But wouldn't that be like, so it wouldn't, you don't think it would encourage like a false marriage in some sort, or you don't think it would encourage more like government intrusiveness into your life? Cause now I got to like monitor. Did you have these three kids? Are you still together? Was this a fake marriage? Or you think people just, that 30 K is really, um, 30K is like really holding them back from combining. Right. You know, I'm not really sure about the divorce. Like say you had three kids, got the money, didn't have to pay it back. Yeah. And then I'm like, um, <laughs> Yeah. They also had an immigration problem and he, uh, their president specifically said to um, just their birth rates were down and they were trying to replace their people with migrants. And he said, that's surrender. No, gotcha. we're going to start having babies and we're going to start making it easier. Um, it is only two years old. Um, but I know that people are getting married. And I gotcha. think that having two parents in the home uh, to raise these children is a way more stable society than what we currently have going on in the United yeah. States, which incentivizes just the opposite. Um, I think we can all agree that our social fabric is um, it's in trouble. It is. And, you know, our inner cities are crumbling because none of them have fathers in the home because they've been incentivized to do L like the other. Um, you know, we already have big government. Why can't we use it to work for us? Um, you know, it's, we can screech about making it smaller. Yes, I, you know, I want less intrusion in my life. However, we already have it. So let's make it work for us. Yeah, it'd be like being upset that Alexa is recording your voice. And it's like, well, she's already there. <laughs> Maybe we can use the Alexas. They're already yeah. recording. Use it to your advantage. Um, for the court systems and such, when you were saying that they're rigged against fathers, what kind of changes... Like, are, are they disincentivized to go, what, like 50-50 custody kind of a thing? Or what kind of legislation would need to be passed to make it more level? So that's tough because what we have is we have feminist judges um, who are activists. Instead of just upholding the Constitution and being fair, um, they are biased uh, towards the women. And um, they're going after the dads. You know, I had a dad who his uh, girlfriend, I mean, he got his girlfriend pregnant, and she ended up 
you know, she had the baby and she had, they had like joint custody. They're splitting it. And she ended up um, putting the baby on top of her car in a car seat, driving off, cracking the baby's skull. And she's still winning. Like she is. And the baby tested positive for meth because she was doing meth in front of the baby. And he's still fighting the court system because they do not want to return that, give him full custody of that child. Now there's no reason that the system should be rigged this much against fathers that they're willing to give the baby to a me- like full custody to a methamphetamine addict who has a history of abuse and neglect um, over a father who has a full-time job, works as hard as he can and provides and owns a house and takes care of his daughter. Right. Um, so he's having to pay her um, while sh- and fighting for custody of his child. So the system is just, it's so broken. I don't know the solution, but yeah. at least I recognize it. You know, gotcha. I see it's there and I would like to try and pursue some kind of solutions. Yeah. And with the, maybe with the incentives, but it is kind of interesting. And that's something a lot of people don't think about. Like despite the, I guess you would always have the right to appeal to a certain extent. I guess it would end at the Supreme court, but a lot of it is the interpretation of the judge and the discretion of the judge in these instances for placement. It's not so much just the legality, it's the interpretation of the law that places right. the child in these um, situations. Yeah, yeah, that might be a little much for you to fix with your magic wand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so in the in the essence of time, let's do this. Um, so, and I'm sure you're going to have one. Um, start thinking of a story that you'd like to share about yourself. Sure. I end the podcasts with this segment. Can I get your best first for last. We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. Wait, do what? What? <laughs> it's awesome. As soon as I explain it, you'll be like, oh God, that was simple. So you know best okay. for last? Like you save the best for last? Save the best for last? You know, like that's kind of a saying, you save the best for last. So what okay. I wanted to, since it's the getting to know you pod, Something when you're getting to know somebody, you tend to learn about some of their cooler first experiences. Okay. So I end the podcast by asking guests to share their best first, as in the first time I blanked, first time I, wherever you want to go with it, for last, as in the last thing people who are getting to know you will um, hear about you, at least on this pod. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. No pressure so, to have this just completely dropped on you spontaneously. Yeah, no, it's cool. Way. No, it's cool. Um, you know, it would be really, really cool. Um, if God was given the glory through this election, um, because I wouldn't be here without him. I, you know, I come with a shaky history, you know, and I'm so undeserving of the position that I've been placed in. Um, like I said, I didn't get what I deserved. However, he is greater and he is so good. Um, and your children don't have to die is what I'm saying. And that is what I'm fighting for. Um, we can work together um, to end this opioid epidemic that is killing our nation, that is destroying our nation. We can fix the core issues. Um, and, you know, as somebody who has walked through it, I am I'm here to fight for you and I won't stop fighting for the people. Um, also, may I include that we I'm desperately going to need your vote September 15th. Please come out to vote in my primary. Um, please come out to vote for me um, as well. And. You know, I look forward to fighting for the people of Delaware and making Delaware a place for people to live, for families to live and thrive. I'm, I, and maybe I should have explained it better. I wasn't going to cut it off right after. I'll definitely give yeah. you the last instance. But since you had brought up giving God the glory, what was the first time you felt like actually saved? Like you felt connected? You felt like the spirit of God had actually come into you? 
if right. you remember. Um, so, you know, I definitely classify myself as a lukewarm Christian uh, prior <laughs> to that, like my entire life. You know, I like, oh, I went to church, but I didn't really know who he was. Um, but I'm telling you, it was on that dirty mattress. Mm. He met me there in my most broken state when I was 89 pounds. My hair was falling out because I was so malnourished and he met me there. Um, and that was, you know, and it's hard to explain. I don't know how to explain what it felt like. Um, but I knew, I knew he was there and he, I knew he was good and he loved me and he had plans for me and he was calling me out of it. Um, so, you know, this, this whole, my whole story, my whole campaign, like it's not me. It's so much bigger than me. This belongs to him because he is the one, you know, who breathed the life into it. And, you know, I hope I do him justice. You know, the best I can do is try to serve him the best I can. Um, and I just want people to know, you know, this is all him. You know, and the people that attack my story, my story doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him, you know, and that's uh, that's what I find funny when they come after me. They're like, oh, you were a drug addict. Yeah, I was. Look how big our God is. Um, so being able to, uh, you know, relay that message is, you know, I, it's cool. It's it's very cool. <laughs> nice. No, that's that, that's a beautiful and in America, especially you just love the overcoming story. And it's always been odd to me that with new challengers to office, we don't want to give them credit for overcoming for some reason, but we'll allow all sorts of mistakes for politicians who are in office. All right. sorts of indiscretions we can overlook while they're in office, but the people coming for those seats, trying to be a voice for the people who have gone through experiences like they have, can have such a hard time almost like being believed. It's like, who are you? You're, you're not a senator. You only want to be a senator. Why should we believe you? But exactly. then like a senator could have gone through the same thing while in office and you'd be like, yeah. look, he's overcome it. She's overcome it. Yeah. Um, no, or that's... like seated people, people who are holding seats who are like, oh, well, you're a drug addict um, who did this, this and this for these people. And you work for the drug cartels. Yeah. Well, it was your job to protect us and to mm -hmm. like to make sure that this isn't the society we're living in. Um, you know, so they're the first to cast stones. However, it was their job to protect us in the first place and not implement policies that set us up for this crap heat that we're facing now that's a that's a man that's a good flip i hope you get to drop that in the debate will you get oh, a yeah. debate will will yes, if you win the I primary so they've already contacted me the university of delaware contacted me a few weeks ago to debate um after the primary so i am like ready for chris coons like oh, i cannot right. wait to debate this guy um so it's gonna be great and it's gonna be really entertaining so i bet no i i, I bet because he's definitely looking at his wikipedia he's definitely not lived the life or had the experiences that you've had <laughs> <laughs> he seems reading his stuff. I'm like, dude, you seem very much disconnected from like what an average family, especially in Delaware goes through. Yeah. Like really yeah. does. I mean, it's hard to see he's sitting in his ivory tower, you know, and that's he, there's no way that he would be able to uh, survive what I've survived because you know, he, right. he's a Yale graduate and he's kind of, he, he's definitely out of touch. That's for sure. <laughs> with the common folk people. <laughs> I would agree. Lauren Witzke, if people want to get know get to know more about you, volunteer, donate, what's the best way for them to do that? Okay, yeah, for sure. Uh, so you can see, uh, come to my website, www.laurenwitzke.com. Witzke is spelled W-I-T-Z-K-E. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Lauren Witzke for Delaware. Uh, and also follow me on Twitter, uh, Lauren Witzke D-E. I'm at Lauren Witzke D-E. So give me a follow, hop on my page and contribute on my website. Um, you know, I need your support, but most importantly, come out on September 15th and vote for me. 
Um, and you know, I need us to, sh I need everybody to show up, everybody register Republican. I need you to show up this year. Um, you know, and let's gear up and take it to Chris Coons in November. Sean, thank you awesome. so much for having me on. Um, I really appreciate you, man. Thank you for, again, like for people who don't know, like you were on a very tight schedule. You've given me extra time. My power's gone off twice. You remained on, you just rolled with it. It was, um, it was awesome. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for supporting a local Delaware podcast, an upstart. And um, thank you for just letting people get to know you. It was yeah. it was awesome. It was a great time, Lauren. Good luck going yeah. forward. Thanks, Sean. All right, bye. Thanks to Lauren Witzke for coming on the Getting to Know You podcast and supporting a local Delaware upstart with her time. And most importantly, for patiently working with us through two separate power outages. Attitude was great. Energy was great. Didn't complain at all. I was super impressed with the fact that she honestly just remained and didn't hit me with the, uh, let's reschedule. Nope. She was committed and she was great. Thank you, Lauren, so much for your time. If you would like to get to know more about Lauren Witzke, you can go to our website, www.laurenwitzke, that is W-I-T. ZKE.com. Remember, Delaware's primary is September 15th. Thanks to AndrePsyche.com for sponsoring the Getting to Know You pod. Make sure right now, if you haven't already, go to AndrePsyche.com for some trippy merch that's going to be worth checking out. Speaking of having not done something already, did you remember to friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook? Your support is needed. And the word of the pod. The word of the pod is faith. Faith, as in the George Michaels and Lauren Witzke's kind, faith is the word of the pod. Post that word on any of our social media or tag the pod when you use it in any of yours, and you will get a shout out on our very next podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod, whether you listen on Apple, Spotify, or any other podcast platform. And finally... If you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging, diverse, global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. All you have to do is message us. Don't forget, get out and vote.